0: Too. I'm going to light the Advent candle uh, as we start our service. Reminding us it's now the first Sunday and we're working towards Christmas. As I was thinking about this evening's service, I and particularly this morning when I was up at uh, Union Church, the word joy was a word that came to mind. You know, Advent, it's about that joy of what is to come. And that is reflecting in our s- uh, first song tonight. Come, people of the risen King who delight to bring him praise, that sense of joy and rejoicing and declaring that he is indeed our wonderful risen King, the morning star. one whose arms of mercy welcome us all in. I invite you, if you're able, to stand as we sing. I invite you, if you're able, to stay standing as we just have a declaration of prayer. We thank you that, Lord, whether we are young, whether we are old, whether we are men, whether we are women, whether we have been born in this country or from further afield, we thank you that whoever we are and wherever we've come from and whatever we... Worship And however we view you and worship you, wherever we are on our discipleship journey, we thank you that we can declare you our risen Lord. We thank you that we are able to proclaim the um, declaration of how wonderful you are. We thank you that you are all that we need in all that we do. Father, we thank you, we love you, we praise your name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. And while I remember, because uh, I've already forgotten, and it's right, and right across the top of my, note, uh, my order of service, there is no evening service next week, because after the morning service, we're having a church meeting uh, to which everyone is welcome, which means there will be no evening service in this building or online next Sunday evening. So please make a note of that. We're continuing our series that we've been doing over the last number of uh, weeks and months um, to do with women used by God in the Bible. And our um, person of uh, choice, so to speak, uh, for tonight is Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth Zechariah's wife, timing in beautifully with the beginning of Advent. And so, to make sure you're awake and with me to start with, um, I'm going to ask the question, what do we know already about Elizabeth? And if we do it really well, we can all go home and then that's it, we can have a very short evening service. Uh, So, what do we know about Elizabeth? I have a microphone somewhere. Andy, I can see you're sitting there, unsuspecting you are, (laughs) you're going to be my microphone runner if you don't mind, in the hope that someone... Is going to indicate they know something. So there we go. John and uh, Johnson. Thank you. I'll move this back. So She was Mary's cousin. Mary's cousin. Thank you very much. Uh, Johnson, uh, a few rows back. Yeah, she was barren. She was barren? She was barren. Yep, thank you. Okay, anybody know anything else in that? She was Zachary's wife. Zachariah's wife. Yep. Thank you. Anybody else? And he was a high priest. He was a he was a high priest. Okay. Thank you very much. Page, yeah, you're going to be here for ages. Yeah. Anybody else? <laughs> okay. Just hold that thought until the microphone comes a bit closer for the people, particularly watching from home. I'm just saying. I think she she became pregnant. She okay, so she yeah. became pregnant. We yeah. will be hearing that in just a moment. Okay, going back to John. Just keep you fit, Andy. <laughs> and She became the mother of John the Baptist. She became the mother of John the Baptist, indeed. Okay, I'll leave you just to sit, Andy. You can. You might as well hang on to it. You might. I might need it again. Who knows? You can move seats again, but you might just need. I. I don't know. I don't know where this service is going today. I might need the microphone again. Uh, I was going to um, say, um, when we're going to have another song in a short while, so if at that point you want to go and get a Bible, if you've not brought one with you, but we are only going to just start off by looking at two verses to start with, Um, and that is from Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 7, and I shall read it. So if anybody wants to nip out, there with some Bibles out on the table, um, they can do so while I'm just reading. It's it's Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 7 to start with. I think in there, we picked up lots of the things that had been picked up, the fact that they were barren, the fact that he was, she was married to Zechariah, the fact that, um, that uh, Zechariah was belonging to the priestly division. So it, we, you did quite well for the first couple of verses that we're going to be looking at. But when um, we started this whole series of women used by God, I started the series, and um, I was at that time talking about Sarah, or Sarah, uh, the wife of Abraham. And there's a common theme between Sarah and between Elizabeth, which is they have both been marked out in history as being childless. Verse 7, they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. Zechariah and Elizabeth were childless. But don't you get that sense in that verse that it was all pointing at Elizabeth? that sense of shame that I talked about last time when I talked about Abraham's wife Sarah not being able to bear a child at that time, that sense of shame that would have accompanied Elizabeth wherever she went. If we go back uh, just over 100 years in our own history, when the World War One particularly broke out, we know that men who were considered to be too frightened to serve received white feathers. And those white feathers were given to males out of uniform by women in order to shame them publicly into signing up and going to fight for their country. And as I was thinking about Elizabeth and that sense of shame she would have been carrying because she was not able to conceive the thing that Johnson, you, you remarked about her, she was barren. I wondered what her equivalent of a white feather would have been, that sense of shame that people would have been pointing her finger pointing their fingers at her. Deuteronomy seven, verses twelve to fourteen, I'm just going to pick a couple of bits out of that. Says this If you pay attention to these laws and are careful to follow them, then the Lord your God will keep his covenant of love with you, as he swore to your ancestors. He will love you and bless you and increase your numbers. He will bless the fruit of your womb and the crops of your land. And it goes on to say, you will be blessed more than any other people. None of your women or men will be childless, nor any of your livestock be without young. What a harsh, harsh verse. And I wonder if that verse kind of lived with Elizabeth for very many years. That sense that maybe people said to her because you are barren because you are childless you're not loved or blessed by God. What a terrible thing to say to anybody I said last time when I was talking about Sarah, Abraham's wife we have no idea what goes on in the lives of other people So often, we can jump to conclusions without any idea of the whole picture. So often, we judge people, maybe by what we see or by what we hear. Sometimes, we can come up with our own and often incorrect opinions on others and their lifestyles without having any comprehension of what the whole picture is. And in the process, We cause such pain, such misery. And sometimes we can replicate that as we share what we believe with others. We gossip, in other words. In this passage, it quite clearly states that they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. That didn't mean that God didn't love her. It just meant that moment in her life, at that moment, she wasn't and hadn't conceived. But as we will continue to see through through the passage today, that situation changes, we've already heard, that she becomes the mother of John the Baptist. But let's, as I said last time, let's be careful about the words that we use and the hurt that we can... Sometimes give and put on others when we have no idea of what the whole situation is. So Elizabeth, I've put down, is remembered for the wrong reasons. I think it's terribly sad that that is the thing that we remember. You're you're absolutely right, Johnson. It was perfectly true. But I think it's a really sad reason that we perhaps identify her rather than as rejoicing that she is the mother and became the mother of John the Baptist. But it's what it says, factually. It's actually what it says, and and you're absolutely right to say what you said. So what do we know about Elizabeth? Well, as well as knowing that they were childless, we also know that they had a good pedigree in Jewish history. Now, this made me smile when I thought about this, because, of course, in the 21st century... Pedigree is not something that we necessarily hold as fast to as maybe we did even a hundred years ago. Or am I true in that? Roll back a few years and think about Prince Harry making that announcement he was getting engaged to an American. And I'm sure all of you can remember the newspaper headlines and the news stories that covered that story. A few years even before then, Prince William was engaged to a commoner. That was how Kate Middleton was being described and is still occasionally described in those first years after um, when they became engaged. And even now, as I say, she's still occasionally referred to as a commoner. I think for most of us, Who we are, who our people are, what our background or our social standing or our class in society is or is not, doesn't, in the same way, matter now as once it did. But sadly, we still do remain prejudiced. Not about whether someone has a title or not, not whether they have a fortune or not, but perhaps because they look different to us, behave differently to us, eat differently to us, talk differently to us, make different choices to us, have different beliefs than us. And as I was thinking about how I could illustrate that, a very flippant but real way is the fact that I pronounce the following words like this. Grass, bath, scone, and almonds. Other people pronounce them grass, bath, scone, and almonds. And when I talk in the way that I have always spoken to do with the grass and the bath and the almonds, I'm usually picked up, quite often I'm picked up and told that I'm pronouncing them incorrectly. But actually, who is right and who is wrong? And should we be making such comments anyway? And as flippant as a comment that is, we do say things, as I said a few moments ago, without thinking about the consequences or how that is being heard by the person that we are speaking to. For Zechariah and Elizabeth, they both had good pedigree in Jewish history because they were both descended from Aaron, Israel's first high priest and brother to Moses. It was as a result of being of the family Abijah, which is what it says in the passage, who was a descendant of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, Zechariah became a Jewish priest. And the only way you become a Jewish priest in Jewish times was to be born the son of a Jewish priest. And it was passed down from father to son throughout the generations. So he had good Jewish pedigree. Now we're not quite so sure about the pedigree for Elizabeth, but the very fact that it says she was a descendant of Aaron definitely puts her in the ancestry of Aaron and the likelihood is she was the daughter of a priest. So we have the daughter of a priest, Elizabeth, marrying a priest, Zechariah, both adding weight to their social status within the community, both righteous before God as a result. And Again, it's not something we particularly weigh with so much today. But names were really important in Jewish society. And Elizabeth was called Elizabeth after a predecessor, Elizabeth, who was the wife of Aaron. And the name means the oath of God or the daughter of the covenant. Names which would have been really important at the time. So they had status because of the roles that Zachariah had, because of their lineage, because of their names. And yet, they weren't blessed by God at this moment in time. Yet, the first verses tell us that they were devout and they were blameless in their observances of God's commands and regulations. And if you put all of that together, it comes back to where I started. If they were so... Blessed in the way that they'd come into with their, with their pedigree and their names. That sense of shame really was profound in the community in which they lived. And by the time Luke introduces them to us, we read that they were both very old. Now, I know you're supposed to feel as old. It, you're as old as you feel, or something like that, isn't it? Some days I feel very old. But we don't know what very old is. But we do know that they remain faithful to God. Which must have been, I think, quite hard at times. And John, you were right earlier. We know that she, they, uh, Elizabeth was related to Mary, the mother of Jesus. Whether they were related through their mother's side or their father's side, it's not absolutely clear. But there was definitely a relationship there. And we're going to talk more about that in a moment. But before we do that, we're going to... S- sing a song that reminds us, I am sure, of some of the sentiments that possibly Zachariah and Elizabeth may have felt as they struggled to hold firm to their faith whilst remaining without a child. Because there's that sense of when we walk with God, we have to trust and obey. And so I invite you, if you want, from verse 8. Once... When Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. And an angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they realized he'd seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. And when his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. The announcement of a birth, well, if we think about some of the other people who received news that they were going to have a child or that their child was going to do something absolutely mighty, become a famous leader, we know that they received the news in a whole variety of ways. For Sarah and Abraham, as we looked a few months back, we know that they laughed even though they tried to deny it because they too were old and they thought it couldn't happen. Samson's father Manoah he panicked and when I read the words that he says in Judges 13 it reminded me of Sergeant Fraser if you know Sergeant Fraser from dad's army who's telling everybody that they're doomed we're doomed Captain Manoah well this is what Manoah says to his wife we're doomed to die when he heard that he was going to become a father but thankfully his wife soon put him straight. Hannah, Rebecca, Rachel, all that we can see in the Old Testament had differing new, uh, different responses to the news about their children um, and the fact that they were going to have children. And for Zechariah and Elizabeth, we have two very different responses, one of doubt and one of faith. At the time of Jesus, there were around 18,000 priests who were divided into 24 divisions, all of whom had particular responsibilities at the temple. One of them was to serve for two one week periods a year at the temple, performing the daily sacrifices and offerings required by the law. Secondly, That three times a year they had to travel on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate the annual worship festivals of Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. And thirdly, they were required when they were not ministering in the temple to live at home and pursue work to keep them um, going, such as farming as well as performing the priestly duties, such as declaring uh, lepers uh, clean once they'd been healed. So the reason that Zechariah is hearing from Gabriel and Elizabeth's nowhere in sight is because he was fulfilling his first duty, one of the first duties that I mentioned, to serve for one of those weeks in the year at the temple, performing the daily sacrifice and incense offering required by the law. If I'm honest, I feel a little sorry for Zechariah. I'm not sure how I would respond if I was visited by an angel. And having got to the age he was, being told he was going to be a father, probably was quite a shock. And that was really how he reacted, wasn't it? But of course, the passage makes it very clear that the consequence was of that doubt and that question. He lost the use of his voice. He remained dumb For the following months and we know that that covered a period of at least nine months that he would have been unable to talk. So when he came out from the temple and he was unable to communicate to the people there, they'd obviously realized something amazing had happened, that he had seen this vision because he kept making signs to them but not being able to talk. Now that must have been quite disconcerting for the people outside the temple. But can you imagine Elizabeth's response when he returned home? A husband, unable to communicate and explain what exactly had happened, and somehow trying to explain to her that they were indeed going to have a child. I think there may have been a certain level of frustration in that household for some time. But we don't know. I'm only guessing. But what we do know that whereas Zechariah was told by uh, the angel that he would remain without a voice, in verses 24 and 25 of the passage we read, after this his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. And these were the words she said, The Lord has done this for me. In these days he has shown his favor And taken away my disgrace among the people. And that takes us straight back to that verse I read from Deuteronomy 24. Where there was that sense of not being blessed by God. We don't know where in her whole pregnancy she said such words. But we do know that she said them. That she pointed to the fact that she was bearing a child as an answer of God to their prayers. And she wanted to thank him for doing so. So the birth of a baby is announced. And then we move on to read that this woman, bearing this child, also has been touched by God in an even more special way. Gabriel visited Mary, the angel says to Mary, you know your, your cousin Elizabeth's pregnant? And we know that six months into her pregnancy, Elizabeth receives the newly pregnant Mary in her home. It says in verse 39 onwards, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit And in a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bare. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfil his promises to her. Zechariah and Elizabeth were living about 80 miles from Nazareth, up in the Judean highlands. That's possibly, we don't know again exactly why, but possibly the reason why that is where Mary went, to take refuge with Elizabeth, possibly away from the gossip and the harsh words that she may be experiencing in her early months as an unmarried woman, an unmarried mother rather, or mother-to-be. But isn't that wonderful when you read in that uh, passage there that when elizabeth came out to greet her she greeted her in a loud voice blessed are you women and blessed blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear a loud voice of welcome alongside a husband unable to talk a loud declaration, saying to Mary, Wow, you're pregnant with a coming Savior. Blessed is the child you will bear. And Luke refers specifically to Elizabeth, Elizabeth being full of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit. That sense of God being involved and orchestrating the events so that his plan comes into being. That sense of Elizabeth being filled with the Spirit, that sense of prophecy from all those years ago coming to fruition and recognizing what God is doing. Elizabeth is the first woman in Luke's Gospel, first person even in Luke's Gospel, to be filled with the Spirit, to say that, to prophesy Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. And she goes on to talk about Mary being the mother of her Lord. And I'm sure that for Mary, wondering what on earth the coming months would mean to her, took real affirmation from those words that Elizabeth spoke to her, to confirm that she didn't imagine it, so to speak, when she too was visited by an angel She didn't need to doubt any longer because this woman, this cousin, this relation of hers recognized just what was happening and was so full of the Spirit and delighting in her coming. And I wonder if that welcome by Elizabeth to Mary was what prompted the, uh, what we know as the Magnificat that is recorded next in Luke's Gospel. Again, I don't know, but isn't it wonderful to have a sense of affirmation? Sometimes if you're stepping out of the boat, if you're doing something that's out of your comfort zone, if you're walking in an area, into a new, into a new area or something that we're not sure about and we really feel that that's what God is wanting for us and we've, the door is opened and we're walking through full of fear and uncertainty... Isn't it wonderful when someone confirms that that is what God has for you? Because I can tell you from my own experience, it is again and again when God has moved us from one place to another and someone has come alongside us or we've read it from scripture or we get a word. All of those times when we're uncertain and we wonder and God comes in alongside us and sends people to confirm and affirm what he has for us. And that is exactly what Elizabeth here was doing, full of the Holy Spirit, welcoming the mother of her Savior. And so finally, we have Elizabeth's joy. And in verse 56, it says, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. And when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise a child. And they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. And they said to her, there's no, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. And they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. And he asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. And all the neighbors were filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. And everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. There's always a sense of excitement when a new baby arrives. And I'm sure there was more than the usual sense of celebration with the arrival of this baby for Elizabeth and for Zachariah. But poor old Zachariah, still without a voice. In fact, as we read, it wasn't until that eighth day when they came to circumcise the baby that things finally changed for him. But not until Elizabeth had had to kind of stand up for what she knew was the right thing. Against the pressure of the relatives. You clearly don't know anything. He's going to be called Zechariah. And Elizabeth held firm. No, he is to be called John. And eventually. They turned to Zachariah. I wonder how Zachariah felt in those moments. When they were all arguing around him. And he had no voice by which to speak up at that moment he knew what his son should be called but eventually as it says in verse 62 I love this they made signs to his father to find out what they would like what he would like to name the child why is it that we associate that if someone can't do one thing they must not be able to do lots of other things there's that sense that because Zechariah can't speak he clearly can't hear there's nowhere we hear that, is there? But they were making signs to his father to find out what they would like to name the child. They could have just said to him, Zachari- Zachariah, what do you want to name your child? But no, they didn't do that. Zachariah, Zachariah responds asking for that writing tablet and finally says, His name is John. And that was the moment when once again he could speak. And his response was to praise God bubble of praise, you can imagine inside of him, can't you, for all those months and those moments when he'd held his child for the first time, and then he's finally able to verbally express what he wanted to God, to thank God. No wonder the neighbors were filled with awe. No wonder the people in the area were talking about these things. And we know that Zechariah went on to be also filled with the Holy Spirit and went on to prophesy about his, the role his son would play. But we're not looking at Zechariah, we're looking at Elizabeth today, and we are seeing a woman kept, who kept on with her faith, who kept on trusting, even though it felt so hard to do against the people who lived around her but who, because she was married to a man, who together they supported one another and remained faithful to God, were finally blessed. And yet, I wonder if they ever knew what happened to their son when he grew up and what happened to him in the end. We don't know, do we? We know that John the Baptist did minister before the Lord. We know that he went on, to be killed himself, beheaded later in his life after he'd prepared the way for the coming of the Messiah. I'm sure for Elizabeth and Zachariah, their journey didn't finish there, but Luke's account for them finished there. But I'm sure they continued in faith and trust and were indeed blessed by the privilege of having that newborn baby that they could care for and bring up in the way of God. I'm going to pray um, in just a moment and just before we do that I'm just going to pause and just come back to that question I, I, I asked. Wherever we are and whatever we are going through do we need that sense of affirmation from God tonight that things are that God is with us in whatever it is that we are facing. It is frightening sometimes when we're stepping out in faith. But if we feel that that's what God has for us, then we can step out knowing that we can go with sureness and with certainty. And the reason I partly say that is because we know that for John and for Glynis, they are stepping out into something very new and John it's lovely to see you I spoke to Glennis earlier and I said this to her earlier that you know things have come together for you and the door has opened and although the door for us as you leave us is closing we know that God's had his hand on you and that he will continue to be with you in your new home with all that unpacking to be sorted. And new places to explore. I know it's a place that you're familiar with, but there'll still be some newness. But you go with God's blessing and with his hand remaining upon you. But as you go, we want to say a huge thank you. I know it was said this morning um, by Ian on behalf of the church, but we say it again to you and to Glynis. A huge thank you for the way that you've served God so faithfully here in this place. And uh, there's a card that has been signed by the leadership team on behalf of the wider church that we will give to you but as we pray you won't be the only one that will be facing new doors there will be others facing new challenges but know that God is with us if he's opening those doors and he's leading us through so let us pray loving heavenly father we thank you that we have been privileged enough to have John and Glynis with us over the many years that they've been a part of our church. We thank you that they have walked with you and will continue to walk with you as you walk with them in the coming days as they move from here closer to family. Lord, have your hand of blessing upon them, particularly, we pray, in the coming days. Keep them safe. Protect them, Lord, we pray. And most of all, may they know your peace and your presence in the days ahead. We pray, Lord, for all those who need to know your peace. We recognize that in the midst of the bustle and the hustle of the run-up to Christmas, we find it hard to find time for the child who is called the Prince of Peace. But Lord, we do pray for those for whom peace is something that is so necessarily at this time. We particularly remember uh, Gabby and uh, Nadine who really need to know your peace in the face of their uncertainty, in the face of wondering what their future will hold, particularly with the uncertainty of school and what they're, where they will be living going forward. Lord. Draw closer than we pray. But with there many, too, who've been bereaved? with there many, too, who are uh, recovering from hospital um, appointments or from hospital procedures? Draw close, Lord, we pray, to those who need to know your peace in their hearts right now. Maybe for the future that you have for them as they seek to trust you. Lord, draw close, we pray. And in the dark and the cold and the shortened days, we thank you that you send your Son who came to be light in the world. And Lord, we pray for those who need to know that hope and that light in their lives too. For those in this country and further afield who who do not have hope at this time, For whom life is dark, for whom life is fearful. Lord, break through, we pray. As that one candle behind me burns, Lord, we know that one tiny bit of light can dispel so much darkness. Lord, may your presence dispel the darkness and the fear and the uncertainty in the lives of the many across our world who need to know that for themselves this day. And we remember those who are living in a country that is at war. In a country where they are persecuted for their faith. In a country where they do not know how to just go through into tomorrow. Because the weight of today feels too big. Give them hope, we pray. This day. And as the breaking news that we hear all the time. Reminders of tragedy and heartache and honor. We thank you that in a tiny baby, you are the mighty God. Father God, we pray that for those who need to know that they're not on their own. That Lord, your presence will fill them and lead them and guide them, that Lord, you'll bring along people beside them to encourage them, that Lord, there may be angels, not to frighten them, but to sustain them and encourage them and to enable them to hold firm. And we thank you for the many uh, emergency services, both in this country and further afield, who seek to bring healing and deliverance and a way ahead that may feel too overwhelming at this time. Lord, we thank you for those across our world who seek to make good out of a bad and sad situation. And Father, in closing, we pray that when we are uncertain, we thank you for the wisdom that comes from you, our wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, our everlasting Father and our Prince of Peace. And right now in the moment that we'll leave, whether we call out names to you in our voice or in our hearts, Lord, just bring these people that are heavy on our hearts before you so that they too may know that we are holding them and offering them to you. And we do that now. And finally, Lord, in the coming days, as we work through this Advent period up to Christmas, help us to keep our eyes on you, to find space for you amidst the busyness, and to always declare that you are indeed the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and the one who is all-sufficient for each one of us, because you are indeed a great God. For we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen.